Y'all pray with me real quick, please. Father, thank you so much for your presence. That we've experienced already in this worship service, God, we yield all control over to you. God, we believe that your word is enough, that your spirit is enough, that your presence is enough. And God, that you move in and through your people to change the world. God, we pray that you would change our hearts, that you would speak in and through me. May I decrease and you increase, Jesus. And that you would speak to and through your people. May we walk away from this having encountered God, not a man, but God, you, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Right there. All right. Well, good morning. My name is Melvin, um, as Justin introduced me. Uh, and I want to tell you guys a story. I like opening up with stories. So when I was a kid, my aunt, uh, my aunt who raised me, shout out to her, beautiful, lovely, uh, and woman worthy of respect. Uh, she, she would make plans without telling me. Now, that's not abnormal. Parents often do that. You make plans without your kids. If you have to go somewhere, your kid has no choice in the matter. They come with you. Now, the problem, at least for me, was that she wouldn't tell me anything. She'd be like, yo, get in the car. We're leaving. And I'm like, hold up. This is how I felt. You ever see those movies? where somebody throws a bag over your head and throws you in the back of a van. That's how I felt inside, right? And so luckily, it wasn't that situation. I had a little bit more say. And so I'd ask 21 questions. I'd be like, but where are we going? Who are we going with? Where? Why? Jersey. Um, and, and there would just be this a lot going on. And eventually, I'd wear out her patience. Like I said, she's a woman worthy of respect. And she'd be like, just get in the car. And I'd jump in. Tell, I'd teleport inside that car before, before anything else happened after that. And, you know, I think subconsciously God was preparing me for what it meant to follow him. See, in, in Genesis 12, verse 1, God calls this man. He's going to change his whole name up and everything in the future. But he calls this man and he tells him. Leave your native country. Imagine I told you I'll leave New York City right now. Okay? That's, that's, that's what God's doing here. Your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. He does not plug in a destination in the GPS, fam. He says, go where I will show you. Where am I going? Where am I going? He's just like, go. And I'm going to show you where you're going to go along the way. And uh, I feel like this is precisely what God was doing in this situation. See, it was difficult for me to trust and submit to my aunt in those moments. It was difficult. Um, to. It was a struggle of control. My name is Melvin, and I struggle with the idol of control. This isn't theory for me. This is something that I've wrestled with day in and day out. And so... Um, let me define control for us real quick, though, before we go any further, so that we have a common language, right? Because I can say something, and you think about something 
totally different. So let me just make this clear. Control is longing to have everything go according to my plan, to your plan. All right? Control idolatry, and we had defined idolatry two weeks ago as worshiping anything other than God. Right? Back in the day, maybe even in some, some places still in this world today, maybe even in, you know, the Botanica on the block or something like that, they worshiped statues, right? They fashioned and created these gods that they could worship. Why? Because they could control them. And Romans, Romans 1 puts it this way, that they worshiped the created things rather than the creator. But we, what we do is we don't create statues, right? We worship ideas, ideologies, and one of those things is our control. Control idolatry is when we seek to derive our self-worth and meaning from life by focusing our energies on mastering something rather than from abiding in Christ. That's control idolatry. Now, I want to I wanna say this up front. Because I know people are, are going to have this conversation, this kind of internal conversation with themselves as we go through the message, right? Control idolatry is different from, let's say, managing your things, okay? So uh, it's important to plan. It's encouraged to plan, all right? Uh, you, you should make the most of the times because the days that we live in are evil. Uh, you should have dominion, right? That was what God told them in the garden, have dominion. Over things, so that we can cultivate a culture that honors Him and glorifies God. But I would call that stewardship. So to differentiate, we're talking about control. Stewardship is managing for the sake of a positive impact, but control idolatry is different, but it can be easily confused with stewardship if we're not careful. So Here's, here's something that control idolatry may look like for you, all right? Life only has meaning. I only have worth if I am able to get mastery over my life in fill in the blank. If only I could control my kids. If only they would just listen to me. That's, come on, how many of y'all, come on, I don't hear no amens right now. What's up with this? Where the parents at? <laughs> Uh, if only I could control my kids. If only I could control people so that they could see how great I am. Maybe you don't you not say it that, that, you know, that straight up. But if only I could control the people in my life, my, my subordinates, maybe you're put in a position of authority, and if only they would just listen to me. If only I can control my family, my mom, my spouse. You know, if only they just got it right and understood. That is where control idolatry can be assessed. Maybe I've stepped on some toes already. Um, but this is where we take a good thing, and we take good and spell it with one O. We take a good thing, and we turn it into our God. Right? We take stewardship a little too, and it's not even stewardship at that point. We take it to the next level where we think we can just, if everybody just does what we want, then things will be better. And so... This text is actually not on your sheets. What I want you to do is open up a Bible so you can look at what I'm looking at. Uh, and go to James chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. All right, I switched up the text. Um, the one in your, uh, your service sheets is different. 
So just open up a Bible there. Now, while you talk, while you're opening that up, I just want to give you a little bit of context on James. So James, the readers of that book, right, were in social and spiritual conflict. And James, as a pastor, is trying to disciple his people, trying to help them out. He's concerned because many of the believers were living in the manner of the world. So they were, they were looking at conventional wisdom. They were looking at worldly wisdom, and they were doing that as opposed to trying to find their wisdom from God. And so here, in this particular passage, James talks to some businessmen who are handling their business in a worldly manner. All right? So let's jump into the passage now. It says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so here's the first thing that I want us to see about this passage, right? That when we place our confidence in our control, we're limiting our scope to the natural and forgetting who we are. All right? See, when everything you want depends on your limited locus of control, you become a functional atheist. Because you don't think God's got your back. You think you have to do it all on your own, and you act like he's not even there. I might. When, you, when everything you do depends on your limited locus of control, you have become a functional atheist. You're, you may believe in God up here, but you're functioning out of a disbelief. And you're, you're believing more in your control. Now, to, the, to, to my friends who don't believe in Jesus that are listening right now, here's what I want to say. One of the biggest hindrances to following Jesus is letting go of control. But my hope is that at the end of this message, you'll see that you're actually in better hands with God than you could ever be under your own limited, frail, you know, dusty control. <laughs> I'm just going to say it like that, guys. Like, that's, that's where we're at. And so James is addressing a people who aren't just planning, but they're doing so without God in mind. All right, so this is, he says, come now you who say, this is James getting firm. He's getting strong with the people that he's talking to. All right, this is that like, oh, you think you're so hot, right? Like that's that kind of person. And James is like, come over here. I want to talk to you real quick. All right, here's what he says. He doesn't even like label them. He gives them the whole hyphenated version of who they are. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ever have that happen with your parents? Like, oh, you think you missed the so-and-so, da 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 And then, like, they just go into this whole thing. And you're like, damn, you couldn't just say I'm, like, proud or something? Like, I don't know. Like, you couldn't just keep it simple. You had to go, you know, tell my whole life story? Like, what's up with that? But James does that. And he does it out of love, like a parent. He does it out of love. He says, come now, you who say. And he, he lays out their whole plan. These are businessmen. These are, these are people that are going to go to this city. You know, a lot of people come to New York City this way. Right. Uh, you know, I'm going I'm to go to this city. I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to pad my resume. And then when it's all over, I'm out. 
I'm out and I'm getting all the, the money in Texas or somewhere, right? It could go further. And so this is what they're doing. But they're putting so much confidence in their control. And they're not consulting God. So he draws up that situation. And, and, and he's like, you, you guys who, who try to speak things into existence... Right, You guys who think that you can just say this thing, do this thing, and it's going to happen. You, you guys who think that you're so confident, let me tell you something. And then he goes on and tells them a very jarring fact. Now, life is full of unknowns. And so James goes ahead and he goes, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He hits them with a fact. One of, the most, one of the best and worst things you could tell to a controlling person is you can't control tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. Because either that's going to be like, yeah, you're right, so I got a plan. And you start going down this rabbit trail. You know what I mean? Like, damn, that's crazy. Like, I got a Texas person. So they do all of that. Or, or they get hit like, with like, the screeching halt where they're like, yeah, you know, I just can't control anything. And so that's what James tells them. He says that you, are, you, don't, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. And so why put your confidence in your control when you can't even control what tomorrow will bring? Not only do their plans not include God, but they forget that who they are. We're not God. We're human. We can't control tomorrow. And so James gives them that stark Reality that they're not untouchable and that their lives, their, another day, is not guaranteed. Things are not guaranteed. And so he asks them this question. He says, what is your life? I want to ask you guys that question today. What is your life? What is it? Think about it. If your life is this unlimited source of strength and time, then it makes sense to live with confidence that's rooted in your control. Right? But if your life is, if your life is meant for you, then it makes sense to exclude God and to not worry about anybody else around you, but to make your plans just for your own profit. Like these guys are doing in the story. In this text, I mean. Or worse, treat God like an accessory to your plans. Because let's, let's be honest. Y'all be doing X, Y, and Z, and then y'all tag along, if God wills, at the end of the sentence, thinking that's going to change something. But the heart is really what needs to be changed. And that's really what James is getting at here. And so James says this. Your life is not an unlimited source of strength or time. You, you are not in control of tomorrow. In fact, you are a mist. A mist. Summer's coming, right? And you know, when it's hot, I don't know, y'all got, you remember those little fans that they had with the little, you know, and then this, it spritz out some water and you, and you like get that cool, fresh air, but you gotta do it like 8,000 times just to like feel it for the rest of the day because that mist is just not enough. It's there and then it's gone and you're back to being muggy and nasty and hot again. Or, or, or think about when you have a hot pan and you throw a little bit of water on it, what happens? Vapor. How many of us think about our lives that way? 
How many of us, you know, Francis Chan has this amazing analogy that he, he brought up many different times where I think it's been done different times, but the one I'm thinking about has like a shoelace. And I don't know, you know, the plastic part at the end of your shoelace? It has a name. It's called an aglet. I sound really smart, right? Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's called an aglet, okay? And he says, this is our lives, right? And then the rest of it represents all of eternity. So this is our life here on earth, this aglet, this little plastic part of our shoelace. He says, we spend so much time focusing on that little piece of our lives. We don't think about God in our plans. We don't think about eternity in our plans because we're so, we're so focused on our locus of control. A few years ago, this is going to be the least gangster story y'all ever heard, right? Don't ever repeat this. Yo, if y'all could bleep it off from the video, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, I was biting my nails, okay? Biting my nails. And that same day, I also played ball, because ball is life. And I jammed my finger, okay? I jammed this part right here, this joint. And so it started swelling up, okay? So I'm like, whatever, it's a jam. It'll go away. And um, a few days later, right, I wake up with a black line, like my vein going all the way up to like through my arm, from this finger, all the way up to my arm, all the way up to here, like past my shoulder. What had happened was, as, by, from biting my nail, I got an infection. And that infection started to make its way up to my heart. Now, you know what happens if it reaches your heart? Yeah, I see the nurses in the room nodding and you die. You die. And that was the least gangster way to die. Like, that's just like, I'm not, I'm not down for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> but anyways, I went to the, I was like, oh, I think I had to go to the hospital. So I go to the hospital and they do the antibiotics. They keep me overnight, make sure that I'm good. And it goes away. But it just goes to show how frail our lives are. And many of us know somebody whose life was cut short by our standards, right? But you and I, we don't know when our day is coming. You and I, we don't know. Even if you get 103 years, you hear old people say, back in my day, because that time just flies by. It just flies by. And that's what it is. It's a mist. And so James gives them this so that their priorities become clear and that God begins to come to the forefront. Um, and so none of this is lost on us. Like up here, most of us, generally, we know that tomorrow is not promised. Generally, we know that plans can change, but we function as if they don't. We take things for granted. We go to sleep thinking we're going to wake up tomorrow. And you shouldn't be like living in this fear, but there's also this balance of life where we shouldn't assume that we're just going to have that next moment, that our plans are just going to come to pass and that God doesn't have anything to say about it. And so maybe you're here and you're wondering if you're a controlling person. And so let me tell you a few different signs that you can be functioning out of a spirit of control. All right? Hang on. This is going to be a little rough. You like calling all the shots. Disrespecting privacy and boundaries. What you mean you can't do this and that? Like, oh, your family? So what? Just come. Like, those are 
signs of controlling behaviors and controlling attitude. Incessant and seemingly agitated checking in. Why you ain't responding to my text? Why you ain't picking up your phone? Why you, pay, you got a phone bill for if you don't even pick it up? How many times I heard that line? Um, picking unnecessary fights. You know, in my dream last night, you cursed me out. Isolating your loved ones. I don't want you seeing this person, that person. Matter of fact, throw that person in the list too. Guilt tripping. This is a little bit more subtle. It's a bit more manipulative. Guilt tripping, where you are constantly making people feel guilty. In fact, James, right before this, is talking about people who are judgmental. And he says, God is judge. He's the one who saves. Gaslighting. Doing something to somebody and then acting like that never happened. No, you know what? You're just crazy. You're oversensitive. Okay? That's gaslighting. Keeping count or conditional love. When you do something, I'm going to wash these dishes, but (laughs) later on, you're going to take out that garbage. I'm telling you. That's keeping count. That's conditional love. That is an example of controlling behavior. Narcissism. Do I need to say more? And last one, and this is probably the one that is going to strike a chord with us the most. Worry and fear. Worry and fear. In the text that you guys have in your service sheets, you see this this conversation that Jesus is having with people. And he's saying, look, can any of you add time to your day by worrying? You know that God clothes the, the, the flowers of the field, and that he, he even cares about a sparrow, the like most common and lowliest bird of them all. He says, how much more you? He says, God knows what you need. He knows what you, like, he takes care of you. He sees you. He loves you. He cares about you. We're not yielding to one of those, those Greek gods who can't control their temper. We're yielding to a God whose control is good. And then he ends with this, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That is what you need to worry about. That is what you need to be concerned about. His kingdom, his righteousness, his will. That brings me to the next point, which is that God is in control. And because of that, we can trust him and submit to his plans. We can trust him and submit to his plans. Look at uh, verse 15. It says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see the difference there? Before I have my plans all straightened out, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Now, I'm looking at God's will. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm submitting to it, saying, if the Lord wills, we will do this, we will live and do this or that. Does this mean you have to say the Lord wills all the time? Church people get really weird about this, right? They tag on, you know, si Dios quiere, what is that in English? Uh, if God wills, right, to like every sentence, yo, you want to play ball? If God wills. <laughs> you know, like uh, stuff like that. It just gets super weird. It's not this meaningless statement that we're just going to tag on to everything. Again, this is talking about a heart posture before God. 
This is talking about a humility that we need to have before God. We need to live our lives in submission to the will of God. When we make plans, we need to make them before God. How many of us pray before we, we, we go on and do something? You don't have to raise your hand for that. I, I could say I, I failed in that myself. How many of us consult God? How many of us look to the scriptures to say, what is it that God wants me to do with my life? We should have this ever-present sense of God's will and then align ourselves to it. We should plan, but be willing to have God direct our steps, as Proverbs 16, 9 says. See, the world tells us this. The world tells us there is no God, and if he is there, he isn't working for your good. But scripture tells us, don't copy the behavior, and I love this, the NLT version. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. We have un, undeniably bought into that lie, whether we know it or not, at some point in our lives have thought to ourselves, I got to do this. I got to do this on my own, on my own power, because what is it that we're saying to ourselves, whether it's subconscious or conscious, that God isn't really going to look out for me here. And so I got to do this by myself. And see, part of the thing that, that we need to learn about this idol is that it takes time to kill it. You need to be violent. You need, to, you need to be violent with that, that thing because that's, I'm telling you, it'll kill it or it'll kill you. But it does take time and it takes renewing of our minds to know God's will and to do it. Now, let me give you some practical tips, okay? If you can't submit to God on a small thing, it's going to be hard to do it on a big thing. So try something low lift, all right? We're practicing the, the season of Lent right now. Try giving up something that has been controlling you, okay? Try giving up something that you have been giving yourself to. I don't know what that is in your life, something small. And then little by little, that practice is going to help you to kill those, to submit to yourself when you have the bigger and harder decisions to make. Like, who am I going to marry? Or stuff like that. See, he is in control, God. And his will for us is best. And rather than trying to control things ourselves, we do better to submit to the one who is actually in control. Not only is God in control, but his control is good. And let's be honest. When we try to control things, we mess things up. All right? How many times have we been frustrated with ourselves, despite our best intentions, where we just failed? And we were, we were in the driver's seat, but that didn't work. Our life is a mist, but God, he is actually in control. Here's what God says in Ephesians 2, verse 10. Here's what the Bible says. Tell us, 
tells us, for we are his workmanship. God created us. We are his poema. The word there is where we get our English word for poem. And we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's control means that we, right, we have already, like, we have these good works laid out for us. We are already created by God. He already loves us. We are his good workmanship. And all we have to do is submit to his good control and walk in the things that he's already prepared beforehand for us. And so, submit to God's plans. Here's the bad news. Bad news for people who uh, wrestle with control, like myself. We're not in control, and whatever semblance of control we try to create is just an illusion that'll soon be shattered by the worries of life. If you think you're in control, you're going to get hit, and that's going to be a rude awakening. But God, God is in control of all things and isn't surprised by the troubles of life. In fact, he has a plan to overcome it all. And we can trust God to care for our needs and operate in faith, seeking the kingdom, experiencing his love and rest. Now, submitting to God's will. God has proven himself faithful throughout all of history. He has proven that he is in control. When the world was formless and void and nothing was in it, he controlled it. He created something just with the sound of his voice. He put order where there was none. God created man and woman, and he created them good. He was in control. Even when they fell and they became rebellious to God in the garden, choosing their own way, letting the enemy deceive them, God was still in control. And afterwards, he said, I will, there, there will be a seed that comes from the woman, and I'll put enmity between you, between her seed and you, and he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel. Genesis 3.15, God was already in control. He was not surprised in the garden when sin came in. Rather, he had a plan already for Jesus to crush the serpent. When God later on comes, comes to Abraham and, and tells him, go to this place that I will show you. There isn't nothing laid out. He tells him, I'm going to give you a kid. And for 15 years, 25 years, he's not experiencing anything, but God was still in control. And when it was time, he brought him a child. And God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And, and, and it took years. And eventually when they were a great nation, they were a captive in bondage. But God was still in control. See, he took 10 plagues and controlled the whole system. I don't know how, how much more control you can have. To free his people from slavery, he was still in control. When they were leaving and they were weak and they were helpless and they, were, they, they found themselves at a river and they were complaining, what, what do we do? What do we do? God was still in control and he parted that sea so they could walk right through it. When his people were acting up and wilding out, he sent them the law. And he sent them the tabernacle and the temple so that he could still be among them and have relationship with them. Why? Because he's in control. After king, after king, after king, after king, waiting, waiting on the king to come and realizing this isn't the one, that ain't the one, this ain't the one. He was still in control. When they went into captivity, in control. When there was 400 years of silence, no prophet, nothing, he was in control. When he sent himself as a baby, he was in control. When there was an order to kill all of the babies, you know it, 
he was in control. When he hung on that cross, he said, I don't, nobody takes down my life. I lay it up of my own accord. He was in control. And he said in his last breath, Father, unto you, I commit my spirit. And he says, I'll lay it down. I'll take it back up in three days. And on the third day, when everything was lost, people thought nothing was going to happen. Guess what? God was still in control, and he resurrected Jesus, showing that death, sin, Satan is not going to have the last word. And you don't have to depend on your own limited locus of control because God is in control. He got you. And then he uses people like Peter who's a hothead and can't keep his mouth shut and denies Jesus three times to preach a sermon where 500 people come to faith and, and like speaking in all these different languages. Because what? He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God is in control. And one day he's going to crack the sky and he's going to come back and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that what? Jesus Christ is Lord because he is in control. Church, have I made my point? And so here's some, here's some, I'm going to leave you with some things here as we close. Some ways that you can battle this idol in your own life. Talk to somebody who knows you, who's going to keep it real with you. Not a yes man. Go to somebody who's going to call out your stuff and ask them, am I a controlling person? And then shut up for two days. Because I promise you, you're going to want to defend yourself. You're going to want to take charge of that conversation. Take some time yourself in quiet. Open up the scriptures. Pray and ask God to search your heart and see if there is anything wicked within it. And help, ask for his help to go through that. I said before, if, you, if you're dealing with submitting to God, right, you're having a hard time with that, do it in the small things because that's going to build that muscle of every time you have, a, you have a power struggle of who's in control, saying, nah, I'm going to yield. I'm going to give it over to you. Father, we aren't in control, and we don't need to be. You are good. You tell us in Romans 8, 28, that you work out all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. May we submit ourselves to your good control. In the name of Jesus.